life. It's more full of surprises than anything you could make up. Scary stories, funny stories, sad stories, we've got them all and they're all true. Everyone has at least one great story. What's yours? All right, who ordered takeaway? Got your true story coming right up. I'd like a funny story with a dash of bellyache, please. Um, could I get something with aliens, guns and travel, please? A one thriller with an overlay of a relationship going wrong. One takeaway order of suspense, please. You're going to love all the stuff here. It's all really awesome. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of bite-sized stories for curious minds on the go. Hi, I'm Michael Burns and welcome to today's episode. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of true stories presented by Tall Tales, India's longest-running live storytelling event series. Today's story is more like a complex wine. It's a little dry, a little sweet, with a bouquet of nostalgia and it's by Matt Daniels. There are two things basically that you need to know about Matt. The first is that this expat living in India can cook up a storm. He actually just opened his own restaurant in Goa in fact. The second thing is that he probably knows Mumbai better than any other single foreigner. The reason that he knows so much about the city is because he engages with it on every possible level. Yes, he's been to the clubs and the five-star hotels, but he's also given food tours on Muhammad Ali Road and sold board games for the general public. He knows the city in a deep, deep way. And he also rides public transportation, something that few foreigners even dare to do. This is Matt's hat tip to Mumbai called Master 214. The first thing you should know about me is that I'm kind of a big deal. All the time, wherever I go, I get preferential treatment. I'm aware of it. I've wrestled with it, and I've come to terms with it. Every day of the almost 10 years I've lived in India, I have benefited from a deep-seated color bias. Yes, people are nice to me. because of the color of my skin. And that's not all. I'm also an object of curiosity, confusion, and occasionally ridicule. The latter maybe even more than the average white dude because I dress funny. The second thing you should know about me is that I smile all the time pretty much to the extent that if I'm not smiling, you know there's some shit about to go down. I make it a habit to smile at everybody I meet and not a fake smile because you can tell a genuine smile because I am genuinely happy to meet you. It may sound like a self-help book, but if you think it, it's true. Now, I'm not smiling because it results in special treatment, but it does. People go out of their way to help me and Mumbaikers are already exceptionally helpful people. They engage me in conversation and they remember me. The third thing which I'm sometimes reluctant to bring up is that I've received a very good and very expensive education. I'm extremely lucky. I can be certain I've gotten preferential treatment because of the name on my degree. In the states, I never even say the name of the university because it comes across as snooty. Here, not so much. People recognize the name of the university and will agree that it is in fact the name of a university, and that's usually the end of the matter. So, I don't always know why it is that I get preferential treatment. It could be because of my skin color or my degree, my beaming countenance, my spectacular wardrobe, but in most cases, I can venture a pretty good guess that it's the former. 
For instance, once I was taking the number one bus up from Calaba around midnight, and the conductor plunked himself down next to me, which was in itself not so unusual, maybe, because I was in the last window seat before the rear door, the one with the little scrolly thing naming the destination. And he asked me which country and proceeded to give me a tour of the city, naming each neighborhood we passed through. Muhammad Ali Road, Baikala, there's Rani Bagh, there's the Jew. The, the what? The Jew inside Rani Bagh with the animals. Okay, uh, Chinchpokli, Lal Bagh, etc., all the way up to Kar. So this guy went above and beyond. Because I was identifiably a foreigner and therefore in some sense a guest. I'm not saying it's malicious. I'm just saying it's there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what the hell is he doing on the number one bus at midnight? Take a taxi like a normal person. Sit in a taxi, pay your hundred bucks. Sorry, where do you live again? Juhu? Pay your 400 bucks and don't have a conversation with anybody unless it's Baisab, left Leligie, right Leligie, all right? Well, sorry. Well, sorry. Sorry. Excuse me for being ridiculous and 382 rupees richer. And I'll just put in an unpaid plug right here. There are many good reasons to take the bus. You're the king of the road. No puny SUV will mess with you. You're sitting up way above the traffic and the diesel fumes, and you can read. You can read a book. You can read street signs. I could go on. Just try that in a rickshaw. But the most special treatment I ever got on the bus was so special that you couldn't even see it. (laughs) What indeed? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) For a while, every weekday, I used to take the 211 or the 214. If you live in Bandra, you might know where those go. If you're, uh, if you're not, if you live in town, you might be surprised that the numbers go up to three digits. So the 211 runs from Bandra Station to Father Agnal Ashram and Pettit School. And the 214 runs between Chuam Village and Mount Mary via Bandra Station. And but barring those, there was also the 220, the scenic route around Carter Road. The bus has a way of taking you to unseen places, places that are invisible to the secular world of cars and rickshaws, which pass through them like ghosts through walls. For many places in Mumbai, the bus is the only evidence that they exist. For instance, nobody says, I live in Don Pada, but somebody hand-painted Don Pada on the bus stop, so that's what I learned to say when I wanted to get down there. And for that matter, you'll be hard-pressed to find a sign declaring Chum Village to be Chum Village, but that's what the scrolly thing on the front of the bus says, Chum Gao. So there it is. But the one thing that you're guaranteed to see on the bus is the conductor. When you take the bus regularly, like me, you get to know the conductors on those lines. Each of them would show up once a week, give or take, and if you're like me, When you don't know the names of people you see frequently, you make up nicknames. Of course, to their faces, these guys were all master. But in my head, there was was one tall, gaunt, older man with a powerful stare who I called Skeletor. And there was a kid, didn't look a day over 18, with bushy hair and eyes that darted around as he punched, so he became Elvin, as in Elvin and the Chipmunks. (laughs) 
And then there was one who bore an uncanny resemblance to a friend from college with floppy hair and a perfectly pressed shirt. So at first I tried calling him Dan Luskin, but it didn't stick. And before long, I understood that this guy was beyond nicknames. And he became simply the master. Do you ever get that feeling when you encounter someone from whatever walk of life who does a job with such blinding precision and efficiency that you know yourself to be in the presence of perfection? Maybe you know a mochi like that or a panwala. Maybe you've seen the video of the magic tapati roller. Well, that was the master. Now, bus conductor is essentially a job for life. It's not so much that the incentives to excel are really bad. There just aren't any. You're not getting promoted, and you're also not getting punished. If a conductor gets way out of line, some, something really offensive happens, you can take the time and effort to register a complaint. Uh, my friend Depeche has done this twice now, but he's one in a million. And while I found conductors to be, without exception, scrupulously honest, basically they're immune to criticism. And they'll just come in every day and do a decent job. Except for the master. Decent did not cut it. So the job of a conductor is, first of all, giving out tickets, which they kept in a little case by their side. They'd, they'd pick it up, rummage through the stacks of booklets, tear one off in the right denomination. That was a normal conductor. The master, before you even saw him open his case, he'd torn out the ticket and the case slammed shut ka-chunk. He'd go through the bus and you'd hear ka-chunk, 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 rapid fire mowing down passengers one after the other. Then, of course, there's taking the money for the tickets. And with the master, there was no bickering, as you often get, about change. Che rupe chutado, that sort of thing. Because the master not only had the change, but he knew exactly which pocket he was taking it from without looking. Another big part of the conductor's job is about giving directions, because a great number of people in this city simply do not know where they're going. It was the master's habit to remain, for the most part, silent. He nodded to a firm, cocked his head to the side to say, get down now, and that was the usual extent of his expression. But the 214 was far from silent. The kachunk of the ticket case was just the beginning. The master could make three distinct sounds with his punch. There was the standard click, meaning, who needs a ticket? Though it was a rare phenomenon in the master's bus that anyone was left without a ticket. Then there was a loud clack against the poles of the bus that meant, move it up, salabure. And then there was a totally unique third noise, a metallic boing, like a morchung or what we call a Jew's harp that he would use to punctuate a transaction, put an exclamation point on it. While letting the strap hangers in the crowded aisle know he was making his way through. I still don't know how he did that one. I've never heard it before and never since. And the final thing a conductor has to do is, of course, ring the bell to alert the driver that the passengers boarding at the back have all shoved their way in, or are at least hanging securely off the door, and he can move ahead. That bell is tied to a rope that runs down the length of the bus, and there's a thunk-thunk sound you make before you ring. By whipping that rope against the roof of the bus to let those folks clamoring in know that you don't have all day, and they're exhausting your already frayed patience, and the second the last passenger alit, there was a ding-ding the master gave that rope the two most precise, minute yanks. The bell would just barely tinkle and we'd be on our way. In summary, click, click, 
clack, boing, kachunk, thunk, thunk, and ding, ding. The 214 under the master's control was a one-man percussion orchestra. It was like a front-row seat at a Shivamani concert. If Shivamani also sold his own tickets, I appreciated the master's work, and I wanted to find some way to commend him, either in person or, as you can, and I've done for bus drivers in New York, nominate him for some kind of award. But there was no such award. As far as I could tell, and furthermore, drawing any sort of attention to the master seemed to be outside of his code. Even asking his name would have been way out of bounds. But I think he knew how I felt about him by the way I behaved in response. For somebody who values precision like the master, responding with precision is itself a form of compliment. I always made sure I was paying attention, that I was completely focused on the transaction at hand, that I had my money extended. That I pronounced my destination clearly, Sutei Sun, and then I sat back and let the magic happen. And of course, I smiled. He never smiled back, but what he did do, when he approached and turned to me, was nod. He gave me a nod, so nearly imperceptible that nobody else could have seen it. But I saw it, and it was unmistakably a nod. Of recognition, it was, in a word, special treatment. After I moved away from Tuam Village, I found the occasional reason to come back, but rarely by bus. And frankly, I started to avoid Bandra altogether because how often do I need to pay four times as much for dinner? But certain things about Bandra are irreplaceable. One thing I do every time I'm about to visit the states is load up on junk for my younger cousins from Hill Road. Necklaces, bangles, misspelled T-shirts, dangerous Chinese toys. Hill Road's got it all. So I was walking down Hill Road one Sunday afternoon in late May when you're wading through air that's settled down, moist and dense like a babinka, and at the same time you're also wading through a dense cloud of teenage girls, and it's work. It's work just walking. I reached that point where. My shirt was soaked through, and I'd had enough of the traffic, the heat, the crowds, and I thought, you know what would be perfect right now? I'll go down to Yacht, the bar at the end of the road, and I will have a cold beer. Just thinking about it had the effect of a cool breeze, but it was physically impossible. The crowd was too thick, the traffic was straining against it. There was no way to push forward, and even if I had found an empty rickshaw, no self-respecting rickshawaller would be willing to take me half a kilometer in that traffic. Nothing doing. Until, out of nowhere, a bus came lurching past. So I hopped on, and who should it be making his way through the aisle to take my ticket? But the master. I couldn't help but smile. The hottest day of the year, and he's in his perfectly pressed brown uniform. Not a spot on it. Not a drop of sweat anywhere on his forehead. He had the same precise mannerisms as always, but he was, or was it just my impression? A little bowed down by the indignities of the intervening years, his punch, his instrument, had been replaced by a computerized printout machine, which I found ineffably sad, like taking the trumpet away from Dizzy Gillespie. But I was so excited to repeat our ritual that I was not prepared for what happened next. He turned to me and looked me in the eye to ask for my destination, and nothing. There was nothing there. No nod, no glimmer of recognition, 
Nothing. My smile faded, and for a split second, my voice caught. I hesitated. And with the master, you never hesitate. So I found the words, St. Andrew's Church. He handed me my ticket and change, and he silently moved on. Now, here's a guy whose name I didn't know, who shouldn't have meant anything to me at all. But the recognition I'd received from him, unlike almost any other, had felt truly special. It had less to do with my novelty, or so I'd imagined, and more to do with an understanding, a mutual appreciation. I don't know, is that ridiculous? Maybe. I shuffled up the aisle to the front of the bus and got down while the bus was still rolling because that's the efficient thing to do if nobody's getting on, right? I mean, why stop if you don't have to? And as both of my feet hit pavement, the bell tinkled twice, ding-ding, and the engine roared into motion. I turned to the road, contemplating the eternal mystery of whether we can ever know another human being. And as the 214 crawled ahead, there, standing in the rear door of the bus was the master with his hand to his forehead in a salute, which I returned. And then I went and had a beer. Hey, it's Michael. We've got a small break coming up, after which we'll have a Q&A with the storyteller, so stick around. We hope you like Tall Tales Takeaway, India's first storytelling podcast. Chances are you'll want to check out the LSD cast, India's first podcast about love, sex, and dating. We think you'll like it. It's a very candid chat show hosted by Prem and Rogue. Look for a love, sex, dating cast on your favorite podcast app. So Matt, why don't more foreigners take the bus in Mumbai? Uh, you know, Michael, I don't think it's just foreigners. I think mm. people... And I would say not even just Mumbai. You know, I think of my time in New York, mm-hmm. and I love the bus because it, it, there's long cross-town blocks that it takes a long time to get past, and it, there's a bus passing every three minutes. It's so easy to hop on. You've got a card. It doesn't cost you anything. You know, it just it's just, it's the it's the most convenient imaginable form of transport. And in my circle of friends, I was the only one I knew who would even consider that. Now, everybody took the subway. Even Mike Bloomberg took the subway. Yeah. But somehow a bus is seen as the the last resort. Yeah. It's a form of transport for people who have no alternative. There's a stigma. There's a stigma attached to it, and uh, I'm going to say there's also a, like a, a, a racial stigma yeah. attached to it. You know, like people don't want to be seen with those people. And what does that mean? Is yep. it, it? I think it's... Partially a class thing, but I, yeah, I think there's that. That's th- one of the many dark yeah. penumbras of the of the bus riding, you know, mentality. Yeah. But uh, I also think it's just it's a little bit opaque. Yeah. And I, in fact, spent a little bit of time working on a bus map. <laughs> so I do have a bus map <laughs> for anybody who would like one. Free copies. It, it's it's. A difficult system to negotiate. Yep. Most people who take the bus take the same route every day to to work or to home, right? And they also have no idea what the other seventeen numbers on that on that <laughs> bus stop represent. And you ask somebody, uh, you know, you ask two guys, you get three answers. 
it's it's never clear, <laughs> you know, like you sort of eventually form a consensus over, yes, this bus goes to this place <laughs> or that place. That was in the past. Now we've got apps. Yeah. Right? We've got uh, M Indicator. I'm putting in a plug for M Indicator, which will tell you exactly where any bus goes. Uh, you know, even Google Maps does a decent, not a perfect job of telling you which bus will take you to your destination. So there's nothing stopping people now except for this lingering sense of, of shame or, or anxiety. There's no reason, I think. You have a special relationship to, to transportation because not only do you enjoy it physically, but then you made this game recently, <laughs> which is the coolest thing I've seen in years. Can you tell me more about it? Sure. It's called Traffic Jam. It's a board game. It's a card game. Card game. It's a card game. It's a very compact deck of cards that you can take on the bus. You can take it, uh, uh, you know, on on a train or a plane. It's great for those in between moments. Yeah. But it's also fun, you know, with friends hanging around the house. It's it's three different vehicles. Right. That are typically Bombay vehicles. You have the. Uh, Premier Padmini Taxi, <laughs> which uh, which is dying out, but we did take one today. Nice. And uh, you've got a double-decker bus, and then you've got a rickshaw. Yeah. And so those three very distinctive shapes yep. form a sort of a, uh, it's like a matching game, but it's a Mumbai matching game, so nothing matches. <laughs> and you, you have to you have to sort of mix and match and find different patterns, different colors, yeah. Put put three cards together, and then like a Mumbai traffic cop, you say, Salapure, to clear them away. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, I, and I, I guess I should put a plug in, trafficjamgame.in. Yes, we must. The last question I have for you is, what I loved most about your story is, maybe in in that way, I think we're both wired similarly. Like, I love to be around efficiency. But what do you do when you're being served by someone or helped by someone who, how do you, what is the appropriate <laughs> gesture to tell them that you appreciate them? Well, I, I would say in that case, the appropriate gesture is probably the Japanese one, where it's just a simple bow, <laughs> and accompanied maybe by a hi. <laughs> <laughs> what about a hug? Arigato. Uh, a hug, it would probably n- not be appreciated by, <laughs> at least this conductor, I can say. They, you know, they're each individuals and they can, they can probably speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said, which is like being a reciprocal, reciprocally efficient customer. Yeah, you know, you you see this, I think, anywhere. People have a certain mode, a certain way of operating. And, you know, for you to enjoy that along with them, <laughs> is a, it's a kind of a compliment. Kind of a dance a little bit. It is, yeah, exactly. And that, I think all of life is that kind of dance, right? We, we're all different, and thank goodness for that. <laughs> and uh, to be able to appreciate all those differences is uh, is what makes every day so interesting. So thanks for dancing with us, Matt. <laughs> cha, cha, cha. And that's the end of today's show. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single episode. And if you do like what you heard, take a minute to rate us and share feedback and reactions on iTunes or whatever app that you listened on. 
We're on Facebook and Twitter, of course, too, if you'd like to get in touch. Thanks. See you next time. Hey, do you have any romance or kitten stories? Hi, I'd like to medium adventure stories uh, and hold the cheese. Get me some non-fiction. Anything. Just, just get me some non-fiction. Wow, that tall tale looks so funny. I want two, please. I'll take comedy. Yeah, something funny. Romance for Prem, fame and fortune for Kirti, and a coming of age for Sunanda. Your takeaway orders are ready at counter number two. That was so fulfilling. Produced by Sonolog.